guys, and welcome along to another episode of Telecast PH, the Telework PH Business Process Outsourcing Podcast, a podcast dedicated to breaking through the cultural barriers and changing the way we look at outsourcing to the Philippines. I'm BizDev Jeff, your host, and I'm the Business Development Manager for Telework PH. Thank you so much for joining, and as always, a special thank you to all who have been listening and following my content on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you haven't yet, and you want to find me on those platforms, all you got to do is search BizDevJeff. Connect with me, and I'll show you how outsourcing some of the non-core aspects of your business, like customer support, back office operations, or even a personal virtual assistant, can open up a whole new world, and in return, you'll be helping our mission to make an impact on poverty here in the Philippines. Right, so on to today's guest. Now, I had originally wanted uh, this episode to air on Halloween as my Halloween special, and you'll know why in a second. So uh, we got together, I got together with today's guests, and we recorded the conversation on the 29th, but then here in the Philippines, and it's currently going on, we got hit with a super typhoon. So it kind of put me behind because I had to do make some preparations and make sure that the house and, and everything else was was all set. And of course, I had to take the time to reach out to all of our clients uh, to let them know uh, that there is the possibility of, you know, disruptions or, you know, uh, lost connections or whatever. But fortunately, we haven't had any issues so far. So that's been been really good. And the typhoon seems to be moving on its way out. So hopefully you can understand why this didn't get out on Halloween. But I don't want that or the weather to overshadow today's guests. I had the unique privilege to have a conversation with independent filmmakers and husband and wife, Adam, a.k.a. Indie Adam, and Kristen Steigert, who have brought us such films as Fang and the Horrific Evil Monsters as well as a host of others. Now, I connected with Kristen a few years back on Facebook when I was looking through some filmmaker groups to see if I could find someone interested in uh, turning one of my short stories into a short film. Um, And now this was back when uh, Adam and Kristen were releasing Fang or were getting ready to release Fang. And I was so impressed with the content and the quality of film that they were putting out on Facebook, I started you know, following them and paying attention uh, to their careers. So you may wonder, why would a podcast mainly geared toward business feature independent filmmakers? Well, of course, they still treat filmmaking as a business. And as a matter of fact, back in 2017, along with another partner, Christopher Burns Jr., they started a film company named 388 Studios. Uh, The link to that website is in the description of the podcast. Now, they have the same structure as any business. They take a creative idea, they produce that idea, then they take the product to market and face the same challenges along the way. Now, Adam and Kristen make large-scale B-movies, slasher, horror-type, sci-fi, and these films are, in my opinion, budding cult classics. I mean, they're really good. Now, if you're, if you're curious to what I mean by large-scale B-movies, well, Adam and Kristen explain. Let's listen in. Hey, what's up, guys? So I have today with me Adam and Kristen Steigert, who are budding cult classic filmmakers. 
when I say budding cult classic, that means that you should really, really, really check out their films. They are just, uh, they're, they're amazing. If, if you like the slasher style films, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. Adam, Kristen, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. We're doing all right, my friend. Uh, living in another day in America. Thank you so much for being on here. Do you want to go ahead and jump right in and just give us a little background um, about yourselves? Anything that you want to you want to talk about? Well, I started into filmmaking as an extra, actually, about 11 years ago on a film that Adam was director of photography on. And it just kind of evolved from there, coming in, doing extra work. And then I started writing and eventually assistant directing. Yeah. And uh, I've been wanting to do film uh, since I was in high school. And I actually started in high school um, directing film, but I wanted to act initially. And uh, it just never worked out for me because I didn't have anybody behind the camera who I trusted. So what I ended up doing is I ended up uh, deciding I would move from uh, in front of the camera and move to the back of the camera. And uh, and I just found a passion for directing and telling stories um, from there on out. And like Kristen said, Later on, I ended up meeting my future wife here. So you guys, you guys met on the set, right? Yes. Yeah, we met on a on a zombie film set. Yes. Is that one of the ones that you that you did? You were doing that. Kristen said that's the one that you were doing. Uh, uh, I was your, act- uh, I was actually the director of photography. I I didn't write it or direct it. I was just a camera guy helping a friend out, and uh, she ended up coming out in this. Uh, we'll say a skimpy little schoolgirl outfit. <laughs> and uh, I turned to my uh, my production manager and I go, you know what? And not so many words. I said, uh, uh, one day I'm going to, I'm going to spend time with that woman. Well, of course it wasn't exactly like that, but um, this is the PG version. And uh, you know, <laughs> and then uh, it took a little longer, uh, took a marriage from her. And then, uh, yeah, I finally got there. I only wanted to be an extra in a zombie movie. I came out of it with a husband. So how how did you come across that? I mean, was was it like an ad in the newspaper? You just knew somebody that, you know, said, hey, you know, we need some zombies. It was actually a friend of a friend. And I was at, I think it was a 4th of July party. And a friend of a friend said, hey, I have this friend and he's doing a zombie movie. You want to come out and be an extra? I'm like, yeah, I love zombies. I love zombie <laughs> movies. I never wanted to be an actress. I'm not an actress. I make a little cameo appearance in each film that we do, but I by no means have much interest in being in front of the camera. I like being behind the camera. I like the writing. I like the pre-production aspect. Mm -hmm. So I like to put my face on the screen for just a a quick little scene, but that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be an extra in a zombie flick and it just evolved from there. (laughs) So then you guys got together and uh, now did, did you begin making films prior to you know, getting together or was that some, a project that, that came out of the marriage or, or the relationship, I should say. Yeah. I, uh, I have been making films since <clears throat> I've been making films since 2008 solid every year. Um, sometimes one or two films, depending on if I, if I'm producing a project or something. So I've been doing it for a while. Kristen kind of, uh, fortunately, um, fell into it with me and, uh, she seems to have taken a liking to it. So, it seems to be good for the the relationship. And, uh, you know, it's something that keeps us both entertained in a sense. Well, when you're, when you're data filmmaker, you know, they live, breathe and eat film. So Mm -hmm. there's little time for anything else. So it literally, it encompasses every hour of every day. 
So if you're going to be a part of that life, you either need to be 100% in or you need to not be a part of it at all. So, I mean, that's really the only, there is no other option. Yeah. And she says it's so true because, you know, there are so many trials and tribulations that are contributed from filmmaking. I like to say before Kristen, and we can't say after Kristen yet, but <laughs> but I'd like to say um, uh, throughout my whole time making film, like uh, it's, it's hard on the relationship. So unless you find somebody that is willing to don't, you know, uh, dedicate their lives to allowing you to create. It's it's very hard to find people that can be stable in this relationship uh, and, and have filmmaking. So what I'm trying to say is it seems like every relationship I ever had in some way ended from filmmaking. So let's just hope for the best here now that we're married. So I'm looking here on your, on your wiki page, on your Wikipedia page, uh, mm -hmm. which Kristen tells me that you had really nothing to do with, but uh, so I'm looking no, here I, on your, I, on your uh, Wikipedia page and it says, I count that you, you've, you've directed 15 films. Yeah, and, and it sounds and about right in okay. one form or another. Yeah, I think that's that's more than Tarantino. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, uh, the, these films are not easy to make. None of them are. They're never an easy film to make. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, yes, I've made probably like 15 films, but uh, you're talking, you know, you're not even talking um, – the producer elements of things and stuff mm -hmm. and little behind the scenes and comic cons that I've done and presentations. So it's, it literally is consuming, but yes, I've probably made somewhere in the neck of the woods of um, about uh, 18 films altogether with, with producer credits. So which one of these films is, is your favorite? What, which one was like the most fun? Do you think, uh, you know, that, that you, that you, that you really love to talk about? Um. Me personally, I, I enjoy talking about a film called Amis Alien Invasion, which is probably my, to date, most successful film that I've been able to uh, produce and direct. But it was also my solo outing. Um, and uh, Kristen actually was supposed to be in it, to be honest with you. But she decided she was going to stiff me. Um, <laughs> and uh, it didn't end up happening. So, um, but yeah, it's my favorite film. And in fact, there's a scene that's online um uh, from Amis Alien Invasion, that is one of my favorite scenes. There's been a couple scenes throughout my history that have been able to almost compete with a scene from that film. Um, but uh, so far, it, I think it still stands uh, as supreme. Um, and if you ever get a chance, take a look at uh, Ambis because it's a very unique film for an independent filmmaker to have been able to achieve. What, what, what makes it unique? The, the scale. Okay. The one thing about my films... Um, or our films in general is uh, the scale. I'm very, I'm very meticulous about wanting to show epic scale uh, films um, with a variety of things that you probably wouldn't see in independent films. Flipped over cars, um, uh, car accidents, um, shutting down city streets, shutting down city streets, throwing hundreds of zombie extras on a city street. In fact, there was even a set that we had almost a thousand people on. Um, that were zombie extras. Uh, Dumping tens of gallons of blood in the middle of the city streets. <laughs> I mean, there's so wow. many stories I can tell you. You know, there are scenes that we flipped over cars and we had to go to the middle of the woods to do it. And, you know, you don't see those stories that built into how did we get this there? How did we do this? Um, I'm hoping over the next couple months that you'll see more as we release more behind the scenes from various projects so you could see how we were able to achieve some things, but um, none of these films are easy. And um, 
each film, I always try to set my bar up another notch. So I want to make sure that whatever I impressed you on in the last film, I want to do that again, but then I want to take it up another notch. So a lot of my films you'll watch and you'll say, whoa, how did you do that in the independent level budget? And that's an example of how good our team is. Yeah, that's something that I want to talk about a little bit later is the budget and and what you're you're putting out of pocket. I'm assuming most of these films are bootstrapped that you're that you're putting most of the uh, production costs yourself. Um, uh, it depends on the film. I, you know, I enlist a, a good series of producers and they always seem dedicated to the cause. The last film that I worked on with Chris here, uh, The Riffic Elam Monsters, uh, we mainly produced the entire project. Um, there was some additional producers brought in, but I'm getting to a point where I think um, that I would like to start producing more on my own end, I think. Yeah, as you know, as a company, as 388 Studios, we have a, a third partner, Christopher Burns Jr., mm-hmm. and he does all of our distribution. Um, so he's really good in that aspect and getting the films out there, getting the distribution, putting it on multiple different platforms. You know, we each have our own little niche within, you know, within the company that we shine at. And, you know, I think self-production of the films is definitely a better way to go as far as the way we produce films, because with independent film, it's not a quick turnaround. You know, there's no guarantee of your money back. And especially now, you know, we're COVID times, you know, we're having difficulty figuring out how we're going to actually release a film. So, you know, when you have multiple producers on a project, you know, everybody's looking for a check and, you know, it's, it's not always that simple. You know, it's not a one-year turnaround or two-year turnaround. So self-production within the company is something that we're seriously looking at because it's a better option for us just to keep it within the company. Well, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So, Kristen, I want to shoot that question over to you, too. What, which one of the films that, that you've worked on is your favorite? That's a tough question because I actually have every single film has its own kind of special element and special place in my heart. You know, I the original film that I started with, which is the film that it's the second project that I worked on with Adam because the first one, he was the director of photography, but his actual film, Final Night and Day, I think was, it had a special place because it was the first film. It was a massive undertaking. I think he was fairly new as a filmmaker as far as making features. And for, and I'm going to call him a young kid. We're not going to say how much younger, but he was a young kid at the time. You know, tackling a project of shutting down an entire city street, bringing a thousand people together, bringing the community together to take on this project was just massive. You know, I think when we did Fang, Fang, I think, is my favorite out of all the films because it was just more of a, it was a more of a claustrophobic feeling movie. So I think the cast and crew really had an opportunity to get close during the entire film. So that one I would say would be my favorite out of all of them. We had the opportunity to do a lot of things that we wouldn't have normally done. We had rented an old Victorian farmhouse. I think it was a farmhouse. And we lived there, we shot there, we ate there. We didn't leave this house for seven days. So I think it really contributed to the entire feel of the movie and the way that it, the way that it is portrayed on the screen. See, I don't know if you remember how you and I connected, uh, Kristen, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody the, the, the story. 
um, you know, I'm a writer and I, you know, I've written some short stories that, that I, I, I think would make good short films. So I was looking through some Facebook groups, some filmmaking Facebook groups, and, you know, I came across a lot of uh, stuff that was really just not good. Um, but then I was, I started watching some of your posts. Um, and I believe this was at the time when you were, you guys were doing Thang. Um, it's been that long. I think Thang came out, what, 2018? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We just, Fang just released on video on demand um, across the platforms, streaming services. So, uh, but it did actually premiere in 2018, but it just released in the States um, last, uh, last, last month. No, not last. Yeah. It came out last October was the release, but the movie didn't come out where you could see it until last month um, mm. on the streaming services. Yeah. But we've been promoting since, since 2017, 2018, yeah. right, since it's right. theatrical. Yeah. Right. So I remember a lot of those posts that you, you were putting up of, you know, the, the, you know, the pictures of the set and everything else. And it was really impressive. And, and uh, I, I just remember I reached out to you, Kristen, and, and I, I think I gave you like this long message about, you know, how I'm a writer and I have these show stories and you were just like, you were really polite, but you were basically just like, not now <laughs> okay? because we are in the middle of doing this film and we can't think of anything else right now. So uh, I, I just thought that was cool. Um, you know, so Adam, yeah, you say, you say you've been wanting to make films since, uh, since high school, what or who, um, are your biggest influences? <clears throat> well, you know, um, as of, I always say, um, I always say, um, George Romero is who inspired me to want to become a filmmaker. One of the highlights of my life was going through IMDb, uh, silly enough, and seeing one of my names attached to his name and linked to his name on IMDb on an official platform. I've seen him speak. Uh, I actually have signed checks from him from Dawn of the Dead in our home. Um, it's the highlight of like uh, our workroom here, or our computer room, I should say. Um, but as of late, um, somebody made this comp uh, this comparison to Steven Spielberg, and I think um, maybe maybe I need to revisit that a little bit because I think. Um, I was growing up on a lot of Steven Spielberg films. I think a lot of like nineties kids were because, you know, nineties kids saw Jurassic park, Jurassic world, um, not Jurassic world, uh, the lost world. Pardon me. They saw jaws, uh, Schindler's list. There was such a vast, uh, quantity of, uh, Steven Spielberg films, ET, um, you know, it, the list goes on, but needless to say, um, I think he does something very profound in his work, which is scale films. He makes, big films yeah look at save a private ryan yeah that's so, what i was just thinking that's the one was just in my head so i mean ready player ryan. one all those are huge epic scale films that you would expect from a major blockbuster and i said to myself you know what i want to be somebody that makes blockbusters uh that people go to the theater and you know maybe it isn't just about the art maybe it's about the experience the immerseness of being in in that moment for an hour and a half watching a film and um, that's one thing that I've really tried to strive on in every film and make better is let's make a bigger film on a smaller budget. You know, somebody said to me one time, and I think I took it, I took offense to it initially. And then I thought about it and realized that I, it really was a compliment. Somebody told me that there's a difference between making films and making movies. A film is artistic exhibition you're displaying everything that you can put out there 
versus a movie is mindless entertainment with big explosions and excitement. So I would say, you know what? We make movies. And, and originally, I think I took offense to that because it, to me, it's saying, well, you're saying film is art and movies are not. They're mindless entertainment. But our whole goal making making a movie is we want to entertain you. Yeah. What can we do to make you go, wow, to keep you in a seat for an hour and a half and have you be excited for what you're going to see? And I think that's what we bring to the table. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I totally agree. And there's there's absolutely no shame whatsoever. I mean, I, I think that art is a process. You know, what, what you see, like the film, the book, whatever, that's the, that's the product of the process. That's the product of the art. Um, you know, people have their opinions. Screw them. Uh, you know, I, I write murder mysteries, um, you know, and, and, and even uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, said that like murder mysteries was was like the lowest form of writing, you know. Uh, so it's like, you know, I, I feel you when it comes to like, you know, when I, when I want somebody to pick up my book, I just want them to be entertained. I'm not trying to change the life. You know, mm-hmm. I have written some things that that, that will change your life, uh, you know, along those lines. Um, but so like for me, when, when I, when I write, it it really depends on what, what I'm writing, um, to where I draw my influence from, you know, sometimes it might be Henry Miller. Sometimes it might be Jack Kerouac. Um, you know, and if I'm writing, Mm -hmm. you know, mysteries, it'll be like Raymond Chandler. Do you find yourself in that, in that same, uh, you know, uh, mindset that, you know, when you're doing different films or even different scenes that you're pulling influence from, from different directors? Yes, very much so. And you know, another film that I need to give credit to for a lot of my work, um, or when I start doing drafts of scripts, is Friday the 13th Part 3. Like, there's an opening segment, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's an opening segment, it's a long segment, of um, basically this guy in this old, um, um, this old dilapidated house. Well, it's not dilapidated, but it's just an old house, and it's like a chicken coop house. And it's basically about, you know, how Jason goes through them. And and, and and I love the writing of that scene so much that I ended up looking at uh, the script for it. And I used that scene in so many different ways to get inspired to write other scenes almost in every film. I can, men- I can think of three films off the top of my head that I wrote that uh, I wrote scenes after rereading how the structure of the writing of that piece was done. So, um yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like inspiration comes from a variety of different things. But, you know, we, I uh, try to tap into um, what people really gravitate towards, you know, zombies or uh, werewolves, um, something unique that you don't see in independent film, you know, not just the stereotypical serial killer. Well, I want to see a monster. And how can you show me a monster? Uh, what a creative ways can you do that? And um, how can you create that blockbuster feel well, with a monster in it? Right. Uh, you know, and, and I like that because, you know, there are so many, you know, independent films that just, uh, you, you know, you, you see them and they're, they're really kind of boring. Number one, why would, I would almost say that your films from what you describe as, is borderline experimental. Um, oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times those experiments have screwed up. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you, you can only you can only do vampires so many ways, you know, that's right. And, uh, you know, e- even me, I, I, I've been dabbling in, in, in writing a book about a gargoyle and, I, and it's 
completely different than any of the legends or anything else like that. And I was talking to my my uh, my business partner about it. And, you know, he's like, well, why don't you do, uh, you know, a vampire story? And I was like, groan, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there, there's probably millions of vampire stories left to be told. But I just uh, I, you know, I, I just can't do it. I can't I can't follow that path. So I feel you. Yeah. I mean, you know, getting in there and, and doing something different to, to make your mark. Um, well, you got to You got to think, too, as an independent filmmaker, how are you going to get noticed? What is going to make you shine out over any other filmmaker? What makes your film stand out? What makes you as a director stand out? And if you look at the uh, titles that I have created over the last couple of years, and Chris has come a part of too, um, each film has something very unique about it. Uh, I just finished, uh, well, we're in post-production, and it seems like it's been forever because of COVID, uh, for the Rafik Evil Monsters. Now, that film features every type of monster element in the genre that you could have from a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde character all the way to zombies. Uh, there's werewolves in them as well. And it goes on and on. But again, that's like you're, you're saying to yourself as a viewer, how do you have all these characters in a film and make it make sense? How does it become entertaining? And that's half the fun of it. You know, let's bring the viewer in to see what those elements are. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But, you know, and, and this is coming from a guy that I'll sit down and watch Sharknado, you know, I actually mm -hmm. found I, I I enjoyed watching Sharknado. Um, I, I love shark movies. I, I just watched that. Uh, what was it? Deep Blue Sea Three, I think it was. Um, How was it? It, it was okay. It, it was all right. There there were some there was some overacting, uh, but uh, it, it was pretty enjoyable. You should check it out. I think I'm going out. to be honest with you because I heard a lot of good things about it, and I'm a deep blue fan. I'm a deep blue sea fan of the first one. Oh, the first one's yeah, the amazing. I didn't see the second, so maybe just skip that and go right to third. <laughs> the one who who really disappoints me with with some of the films that he's done, um, and I could be wrong, is Quentin Tarantino, because mm. I'm a huge Quentin. I'm a Pulp Fiction. I was, you know, I'm, I'm a '90s kid. I, you know, uh, that was that was huge. You know, Pulp Fiction and Natural Born Killers came out at the same time, and uh, it just seemed to like a lot of things changed. But then, you know, taking Dusk Till Dawn 2, Dusk Till Dawn 3. Um, yeah. I, I think that it really lost a lot. I, mean, I think it would have been better to call them other, uh, give it another title. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. That's just one man's opinion. Well, um, I think you're entitled to it. And I also think that um, I think you are probably correct on it because I could not get past. I like Dusk Till Dawn, the first one, of course. It's a classic. Oh, classic. Yeah. But. But the second and third one is just, yeah, whatever. Well, I feel like his stories start to get lost because there's so many side stories he's telling within a story mm -hmm. that you you lose sight of his original plot. Well, not only that, you know what else it is? It's now they're just trying to make money on whatever they can get. Well, so, you know, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one, Adam. And I'm going to tell you another one that just popped in my mind that I was totally, totally disappointed in. You know, I I loved one of my favorite movies in the in the world is Desperado, Robert Rodriguez. I mean that I love. Mm -hmm. I could watch that movie every single day. But Once Upon a Time in Mexico was just was horrible. I mean, in my opinion, I just thought it was just I I, I couldn't. Get, well, I, I, I didn't really I didn't like The Inglorious Bastards. That one I thought was I don't like when you mess with history. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but spoiler alert: they they kill Hitler at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know. I just, I just, 
I just can't, I just can't get behind that because you're screwing with history so much. You had me up until that point, And then as soon as that point hit and you changed history, it didn't work. Now I did the same thing for once upon a time yeah, in Mexico. Was, you changed yeah, the history yeah. of that one too. Yep. Changed the whole, the whole ending. Um, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed those two films. Uh, I, I really like Brad Pitt. Uh, I'm a big bad Brad Pitt fan because I, I think the guy is so versatile. Him, my, my favorite actors are Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks. You know, the Tom Hanks can play anything. Yeah, he, he definitely can. You got to give Leonardo something too there because he is really good too. I just had the very same conversation with, with my, my other buddy, Adam, Adam Ward. Um, and he's a big, I, I'm not a huge Leo fan. I, I there, It's like, I like Leo in movies, but I don't, I don't seek out to watch his movies. Let's put it that way. Like The Departed was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street was okay. Um, you know, but I don't really seek out to see his films like I would, you know, Tom Hanks, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, um, you know, uh, even Kiefer Sutherland. I'm a big Joel Schumacher, Kiefer Sutherland fan, too. So let's let's talk a little bit more about, um, the, you know, the, the type of films that you make. Um, why? Now, you had mentioned earlier, you said, you know, I want to make the type of films that people are going to watch and enjoy, obviously. Um, but why slasher films? Is, is, is that like a passion of you? I mean, you like slasher films? Um, well, yes and no. Um, like if you look at the arsenal of stuff I've done, not all of them are slasher by any means, but there's a good chunk of them. You're absolutely correct. And I think slasher allows you to create um, an ambiance. Um, and it also allows you to have the ability to make, you know, to sell your film. You know, cult horror films, like right. those types of genre-related films, if you're not sticking strictly to the the, the formula per se, um, then you may not get noticed at all. No one wants to see a romantic comedy, but I would love to direct one one day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, a lot of things, I, I see a lot of slashers. So slasher is one thing. You take the elements of slasher and then you morph them into whatever story you're trying to to tell. Now, Ambis, I have a couple of alien films I've done. Um, or films that feature aliens. So I'm a big alien buff, and I didn't even realize it. And um, I will tell you that, uh, again, making these unique characters, you got to make them somehow relatable to the audience. Yeah, you know, indie horror sells. You know, your indie horror cult fans are going to be your diehard fans. You know, I don't see romantic comedy film um, conventions. No, no, exactly, horror right. conventions everywhere you know your sci-fi and your horror have your your biggest audience underground audience and it's the cheapest to pull off your practical effects you know the we're not big on cgi and i think adam can talk to this as far as practical effects we'd rather go practical effects all the way and it's a whole lot easier and cost effective and believable to work with buckets of blood than it is to work with other sort of effects in other genres that I think are going to be more expensive, harder to pull off. And then you get into the CGI and you're not looking as believable. Yeah, absolutely. Get, I mean, I'll go ahead. Don't get, don't, don't get us wrong. Our films are not cheap. Um, you know, but we're not a multi-million dollar production. Each film, you get more bang for your buck. <clears throat> right. So we stick to the things that we know the money has to go to. And, um, and one of them, of course, is craft services. You got to have craft services. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> besides that, you know, we stick to the formula pretty, pretty closely. 
Well, I know that, you know, with, with slasher films, because um, I'm into them. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't like Chucky, but you know, when, you, when you're talking Freddie, you're talking Jason, you're talking Michael Myers, you know, uh, Leprechaun. What was that Leprechaun movie? Um, yeah, the Leprechaun. You know, th- those, you know, are the ones that I grew up with. And, and it really it does. And even when you get down to the, to the B movies, like I believe Night of the Living Dead was a B movie oh, yeah. uh, when, it, when it came out. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, it creates an entire culture almost around yeah. the film to where, you know, they know the characters' names. They begin to, you know, you get the, the you know, writing fandom. What isn't that called? Fan, fandom stories and, and whatnot. And I really think that that's, that's the way to go. If I were to make films, I, I would probably, you know, stick with more of the macabre and the, um, you know, the mystery side. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any interest whatsoever in romantic comedies, um, unless it's Adam Sandler. I can watch Adam Sandler, but anybody else, I really just have no, um, no interest in. What's no well, I, we need to recommend you CPS. I love you. Then <laughs> you got to see it. All right, all right. I'll put I'll put it on the list. I'll put it on. The yes, list. I'm sure it'll be at the very bottom. But you, <laughs> you know what? Just know that it's on that list. <laughs> so, what? Uh, you know, I did have a. I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, would you make any other genre? And you just said romantic combat. But is there any that you will not do, like music videos, or I mean, is there anything you just like are totally opposed to? Um, you know, barring pornography or whatever. But like any other type of genre that you really just just turns you off. Um, I don't I, know. I don't know. I'm a pretty hardcore horror fan. I mean, mm-hmm. I would do I would do slasher horror all the way every film. My palette is pretty pretty stuck in that. I see. It feels like when we're writing, we could be writing a strictly horror. So when we started writing Horrific Evil Monsters, I think we were gearing up to have this be an epic horror film. And it ended up leaning more towards a horror comedy. Um, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of of strictly comedy. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that there it's it's very one dimensional. There's only so much story you can tell. There's only so much action you can tell before you start dabbling into being then an action film. So a strictly comedic feature i don't i don't think i'd be 100 percent interested in and it's hard to do a comedy i've done i've, I've tried to do them before and, and they're they're hard to do you know my favorite type of comedy is like the airplane style type of comedy mm-hmm. the uh i hate to say it but the scary movie style of comedy you know let's make something funny but stay serious all the while and that's where the true like comedy comes off. I mean, Leslie is Leslie Nielsen is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. He he was a god at that, and he started off as a dramatic actor. That you know, he did all these films. He did a couple of blockbusters, and then he switched gears to this. Um, well, the Naked Gun series because um, he did a TV show pilot, and it just it just was off the charts. And then they canceled it, but then they made movies about it. So it's one of those things that I always look at. Like I know he was somebody that was very inspiring to me for a film called The Grim Becoming that I would watch and I read about to learn how he was able to act. So um, there's some actors out there that, and even in comedy that have done horror, have done every genre, and then they find their niche. And he was one of those people that were very blessed to get into comedy because the world needed his laughter. I think comedy is just a hard sell for a lot of people because everybody has their own idea of, of what's funny and what's comedic. And when you're in a theater, you know, if you're making a comedy and you're set out 
for laughs, you know, there were a couple scenes in Star that when we were editing them, we were laughing and laughing and laughing. And then you're waiting for that same laugh in the theater and you don't get it. And it's just a letdown. So I feel if we were to make a, a true comedy, I feel the laughing points that we found funny may not be what somebody else does. And it it would just, parts would fall flat for me. If I could just say, one of the, one of the, there's two things I love. Uh, when the premiere happens. First off, my favorite thing about seeing a movie in a theater that is yours is watching the end credits. Because at the end credits, you've survived as the director watching with a group of people. You've heard laughter, you heard the booze or whatever. You've you've had responses, visual responses, um, and you can gauge where the audience feels on various different... um, topics inside your film and the other thing is i like to to either sit real close to the the screen so i can't see the reactions or i like to sit behind everybody so i can see the reactions and each one of them has a different experience um that one as a director or an artist can see because all you do one day is write some words on a piece of paper fast forward two years and then your movie's in a theater and it's surrounding by all these people and this is the moment did you make it or did you break it that's those are tough moments to swallow because there's been times, especially with me, and now, you know, doing 18 plus films, that some of them have failed, of course. I mean, it's just the nature yeah, of the beast. Yeah. But there's been some that have been very well received. And those are the ones that I look to for, for guidance. Um, so those are the two things that I think is very important, you know, is just to get those reactions from people when you see it uh, together. I like that. And I like the fact that you that you still, you know, step up and own those those films that you that you say are flops um other people may may not may not think so you know when people ask me how many books have you written i say four the the truth is i've written five but the first one is just it was a a science fiction fantasy type thing that was just really not my bag man and it is horrible it's horrible i don't want anybody to read it but it's there you know and i i leave it i leave it up there uh you know on amazon on kindle so if somebody picks it up, they can see how well I've I've progressed. But uh, I won't I won't say the film name, but I will say I often get interviewed, and when I do, uh, interviewers bring up a certain film, um, and I have to like grin and bear it because I hate talking about it, um, and I won't let anybody know what it is. But if, if you do enough research, you can find it probably um, of what film I'm referring to. Um, cause I do talk about it pretty regularly <laughs> and, uh, th- what I'm trying to say is, uh, there are films I try to escape, but then people want to know more about those films that I'm trying to escape from. So <laughs> maybe they're not as floppy as I thought they were. What direction do you see yourself going with this? I mean, I know you're going to continue to, to make the, make the films, but I mean, what, uh, where, where do you want to see this go? Well, be honest. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, so some people just want to stay on the independent level. I mean, are you are you really hoping to, you know, hit the Sundance and, and make it big or. You know, I think everybody has their their own individual goals mm-hmm. between the three of us within 388 Studios. I feel that my goal is to keep producing content. And I think Adam would agree the more content you put out there, the more you can monetize that content and start receiving income off of that. So obviously the more content you put out, the more people you're reaching to see your product. So, you know, are we going to Sundance? Who knows? Maybe someday depends on the content we put out, 
But I think our whole goal is to just keep producing content to build a wider base of an audience. When we cast, a lot of local filmmakers cast locally, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. A lot of our talent is local, but we're starting to more gravitate towards out-of-town talent now. And the reason being isn't because we don't have great talent locally. It's because you can reach a wider audience when you're casting further out. So for the Horrific Evil Monsters, we had talent from LA, we have talent from Chicago, we have talent from St. Louis, and then obviously local talent as well. But those are just bigger audiences that you're hitting because then they're going to promote in their hometowns and they're going to go to festivals and they're going to go to conventions and promote your product and promote the film and promote themselves. So you're reaching a wider audience that are going to see your product, which is going to allow us to continue to produce more content. So I, I think just getting the films out there to a wider audience makes you bigger within itself. So the more audience that we generate, obviously the more money is going to come in. It's going to allow us to produce bigger productions. How big is yet to be seen? I think our sets are pretty massive as they are. You know, I wanted to start dabbling in and, and Adam and I have a project that we're starting up to do, you know, possibly some shorts, you know, getting something out there. Life is changing. And especially with COVID and theaters being closed, you know, people aren't seeing features all the time anymore. The normal, you know, I think you researched this, Adam, what is a normal attention span on a, you know, everybody's watching YouTube. People are watching what, one minute, two minutes, five minute clips. Yeah. People aren't watching two-hour epic movies. If you, if you don't have something that grabs an audience member, uh, even if it's clickbait, if you don't have something that grabs them right away within the first 15 seconds, chances are that you're going to lose them you're and they're going to scroll. Right, right. You have yeah, so you, you, just, you have that small window to, to, to make it impact, absolutely. I would say it's about 15 to 30 seconds to grab them. To grab them, yeah. Like we did Fang. Um, and Fang has a, a pretty uh, an opening scene that is pretty graphic, um, where one of the characters is eating a body part, mm. and it's within the first not even fifteen seconds that you see a half naked man covered in blood eating uh, human remains uh, and throwing up, and I mean it's very grotesque, it's very graphic, shock value. It's a shock value that often grabs people when they see that film to say, well, this is what you're in store for. Then you can tone it down a little bit because you already grabbed their attention with something right. shocking. Yeah. And you then have, you have to evolve with what's out there. Yeah. You know, right. with the changing times, if you're not willing to evolve and adapt to it, you're going to be dead in the water. You know, we can't keep making two hour features if nobody's watching two hour features. If we can grab people's attention with shock value, we can grab them with shock value. I think we just watched, we just want, what is it? Blind Manor. Yeah. Bly Manor on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So we were, what, six episodes in, and we looked at each other and we're like, this is boring. What's yeah. happening? What's going on? We lasted, we watched the entire season, but it wasn't great. No. You know, how many times are you going to shut it off, you know, one episode in and say, this is terrible. I don't want to watch anymore. We don't want to produce content that people are going to shut off 20 minutes in and say, I don't want to watch anymore. The Bly Manor was highly, highly disappointing. Because yes. the, the setup, the setup was so complex. I was expecting a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, it just, uh, you know, every, every the, the character development was amazing for like the first three, four episodes. But yeah, I was the same way. You get into yeah. number six, seven, I was like, oh, good Lord. 
This That's all you have is character development. Right. Yeah, it was just one big character development. And and I get it, but if you're trying to tell a little bit of a story that interests people, I mean, you got to give them what they're looking for. And they didn't give the, in my opinion, and I, I don't know how you guys feel, but they didn't give the audience what they're looking for until like episode seven. And I think there was only nine episodes. So eight, nine, that's three episodes. You could have made the whole series just three episodes long, in my opinion. I agree. I completely agree. And I actually have that complaint with a lot of uh, that platform's originals. I'm I'm not going to say the name because I don't know who's listening. But uh, that, you know, that, that, that platform's originals um, are really the first 60 minutes are nothing. It's yeah. just absolutely boys just watching them walk around grocery shop or something like that. And then all of a sudden a couple of things happen and the thing's over. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really very choosy with my films. Um, yeah, you know, I just, yeah. I just watched, uh, the highway men. That was a damn good film. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Woody Harrelson. Um, I love Woody Harrelson. No, and Woody Harrelson can't do anything wrong. So I, we should check that out. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Have you seen? I just watched another one the other night. Um, now you see me. He's a, he plays a, a magician. The magician, they, yes, I yes, love that. That, that was, was excellent. A, yeah, that was a good film. But but moving on from that, yeah. So we were talking about the direction you wanted to take this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I and I see exactly what you're saying because, I mean the. I'm not saying you don't make good films, but even people that make great films and, and spend all of that time and all of that energy to try to get, get it shown in Sundance and, and spent and just, and it goes nowhere. And, and it's yeah. really a, a big, a big waste of time, but, but knowing where you are, identifying with that, knowing who your audience is, and then just, and just reaching out because you're going to get a bigger, a better response when you're attracting people rather than trying to thrust and push it in front of people. I think, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of uh, Deep Water. The, I believe the movie was Deep Water. Yeah. Uh, about the couple that got, you know, stranded, stranded. outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was another uh, husband and wife duo, I believe, made that film. It took them like three years to make that film. And they got discovered. They got picked up by Lionsgate at the Sundance Film Festival. How often does that really happen? Right. You know, um, and have they made anything since? I, I don't even know. You know, so it's I don't think it really opened up a whole lot of doors for them. So, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with staying on the smaller market, generating that income and, and you know, exercising your creativity. Right. Uh, well, the smaller you know, market, too, allows you to do what you want to do as opposed mm -hmm. to mainstream doing what you're told to do. Exactly. You know, uh, my first book, 13 Years of Dust, got published by a publisher and I'll never do it again. Uh, you know, all, sure. all, of, all of these, all of these, uh, you know, writers that keep talking about, oh, I want to get published, I want to get published. I keep thinking, why? Self-publish. Just yeah. self-publish because you're going to, you have the more, you have more freedom to change it. You have more freedom, you have more control, plus you get it's all the, the money. Same, it's the same way with filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Self, self-distribution is the way to go. And people will fight you on saying, well, no, I sh you should get a distribution deal. I've had distribution deals. I've sued distributors before. I am not a fan of distribution deals um, to third parties. They're mainly um, all out for themselves. Um, I don't want to say they're corrupt because I don't want to, I mean, I don't want it to feel like that, that every one of them is, is bad, but um, I just think that, I just think that they are, their sole job is to make money for themselves, not for you. Mm -hmm. You should be in control of your own, your own, your own books and your own income coming in. But as you can contest, you know, um, 
none of that's cheap to do. You got to have some start-off capital. If you don't have any start-off capital, then you cannot seek out the platforms that you're trying to get on to get more exposure. And the other thing is, and this is probably across the board, even for books, is you got to have some type of marketing strategy. Yeah, oh, yeah, you got it. Because you if, it. if you have zero marketing strategy, you're going to get zero watches or zero reads, whatever you want to consider it as. Yeah, we, 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 call, we call it Kindle's basement. You end up in Kindle's ma- basement, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you just, it, it's, it's, it, it is really just a game. And um, you, you can only tweet so much. You can only oh, make so many, you know, Facebook posts. But if you're not actually dumping some money into marketing, I, I mean, and that's where I'm sitting right now. I haven't really been doing... I did some marketing with with my my book, uh, Price for Harmony, and I sold some copies, and it, it was a successful campaign. But um, I just I haven't been following up with it as much as I want to, um, because I've been going in other directions. But yeah, that was that was something that I did want to talk about a little bit later. But I have one more question uh, before we get into the business side of things. You know, I, I've seen the posts from the both of you, and I'm not a stalker, but I do see your posts. I remember the post when you guys bought your first refrigerator, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> you put that water bottle in there. I, I don't I, I, I just remember those things. I don't know why. Um, I hope that makes the cut of this interview. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. I, I don't edit a whole lot. Uh, you know, just some of the things. At any rate. So I, and I've seen both of you have made posts where, you know, Adam, you guys were just recently, um, were in Maine or you, you had gone somewhere. And, um, when I first contacted Kristen about doing the podcast and then, you know, uh, you had mentioned that you were writing again. And then I saw Kristen made a post as well about, uh, starting writing again. What's your favorite role out of, out of all of it? Hmm. Like what is my, I think directing is my favorite. Directing out of, out of all of it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's not easy to direct a film. And if, and to have, you know, I would say I probably have a, at least eight titles that are feature length. Um, and, you know, those are some of the projects are over two years in the making per film. And it's not easy. And they don't have small casts. So directing, you have to focus on all that. I think I'm going to give you an, um, an expectation that my wife here is going to say her favorite thing is writing. But we'll see what she says. It is. It's writing. I, I've always loved to write. And I'm passionate about it. And I think it's something that I shine in that element. Now, when Adam and I write together, which is most often what what we've been doing lately, we have a really great formula for writing where it's kind of like building a house. Adam will do the framework of a scene or a framework of the plot. And I'll go in and I'll add the details, the dialogue, things like that. And we'll bounce back and forth. When we write, you would not know who wrote what scene. No, because it's seamless. It's just that perfect together. My major character flaw is I don't like when my writing is changed. And I think Adam will attest (laughs) to that, that if I write something, I will fight tooth and nail to keep it in there. And I don't have a whole lot of flexibility. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. She's not doing very well. (laughs) I'm working on it. But I like the writing aspect of it. I like the creativity of the writing. I like the words on the paper. Adam was saying his favorite moments during a premiere, you know, seeing the credits, seeing the audience's reaction. Mine is seeing a character that I developed that was nothing 
And all of a sudden they're speaking my dialogue, words that I put on a paper. To me, that's impressive. Well, it's, you know, and I don't mean to cut you off, but there's like, a, you know, like we write an alien comes out of a closet or alien comes out of a doorway and you're like, okay, well, we'll figure out what the alien looks like <laughs> later on. We just know that he has to look like a humanoid type of alien. So then you start looking at the wardrobes because that's another great thing is putting together a character. Um, but uh, not to get away from the thing, you know, that's a whole different topic. And so, <laughs> but yes, yeah, her, I, like I said, it, it definitely is a, she, she definitely shines in writing and she's definitely the, the yin to the yang type of thing. What's the biggest challenge on the set? I mean, like, like, you know, you're, you're there, the actors are there, everybody's there. What, what, what's your, what's your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge, although I try to spread myself everywhere, I'm just not everywhere at every time. So I always look for assistant directors that can help continue my vision when I'm not on, like not with them on set or if I have to be somewhere else and I can't be there. So um, my biggest challenge is, and personally, it's a personal struggle, is just to not be everywhere, to know everything so that my brain can slow down. Once you're in filmmaking mode, Chris can tell you better because she watches it from the outside. But once you're in filmmaking mode as a director, you like shut down everything. Like when we do our shoots, we have blocked out time. So we have a week to shoot. During that week, I don't do any house bills. I don't do any type of personal anything. It's just strictly film. And that's all it is. We wake up, we go to sleep, we have arguments. We are not to take the arguments home with us. You know, it's just, we need, we have a week, we have to get this done. And then, like I said, Kristen can tell you how it feels looking outside in, but it's almost an obsession at times. So it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot to be a director, um, but it is also the hardest job in, in the field. Yeah. So I would say my biggest challenge is I'm the one that has to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm the one that has to oversee craft services, makeup, wardrobe, cast. I'm the one that has to oversee making sure our cast gets to where they need to be, making sure our special effects guy has what he needs, making sure the food is going to be ready on time, making sure that people are ready for Adam when he needs them ready, making sure the scene is set up where it needs to go based off of the script. So in making sure that all of these people are coming to me as opposed to bothering Adam so he can stay in his zone to be able to direct the scene efficiently. So I think working together in that regard, he is tunnel vision, single focused. When we're on set, there's everybody else is joking around, laughing, having a good time. Adam is not. He's got a pen behind his ear, a script in his hand, figuring out where placement needs to be, where the lighting needs to be, you know, how the scene is going to transform from it is on paper. And it's my job to make sure that everybody else is doing what they need to do so he can focus on the directing. Uh, okay. So on the converse, how about off the set, on the business side? What, what are your biggest challenges? I know you had mentioned we talked about marketing. Uh, do you, yeah. you know, is that do you think that's your biggest challenge? Because I know that's a pain point for a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of businesses across the board. I would agree. I would say marketing. I mean, I'm sure there's other things that stand out, but I would say marketing is so important because if you don't have marketing, you are dead in the water. So. Yeah, it, it's so vastly important. In fact, we're to a point now in my career and in Chris's, I would say with, with doing the movies, is I don't hire anybody that doesn't promote themselves anymore. We just don't do it. 
So if you're somebody that doesn't promote themselves or promote the project, in fact, in in our in con in our contracts, there's even clauses now that state that you have to promote uh, X amount and stuff. But um, promotion is so key. I will not work with somebody. They could be the best actor in the world, but I'll take the guy that promotes himself all the time and is less of an actor in a sense, not less of an actor, but less of the caliber of somebody else that might have more experience um, if they promoted themselves more than the person with the most experience. Hey, when so, you mean promote, your, promote themselves, you mean like talk shows, social media? Yes, uh, promote you know, their brand, um, do, you know, continue to be there out there, creating a name for themselves. Right. You know, um, a lot of filmmakers. I did a whole film once that almost the entire cast and crew didn't even promote the film once. So um, that was a, a, a pivotal turning point for me as, as an artist. Yeah, if you have a cast of 80 and a crew of 25 and you have one person promoting the film, yet everybody is everybody wants to get paid, right? Well, we can't get paid if people don't see the film. And if people don't right. see the film, you know, it, it's a team effort. And why wouldn't you want to promote yourself? If, if you're acting as a career, you want people to see your films, ideally, right? So well, if yeah, you're absolutely. not willing to promote it, <laughs> if they're not willing to put themselves out there, and it's not even about promoting just our film. You're in our film. You have to promote our film. You want to promote yourself. Yeah, definitely. Because promoting yourself is what's going to get you hired. I can't tell you how many actors we've cast because I do the majority of our casting. You know, how many actors do I cast because I've seen your social media presence? You've caught my eye over the other 4,000 friends that I may have on Facebook. You stood out to me. Why? Because you promoted yourself. Right, right. exactly. I mean, the, you know, the, the brand promotion and everything else. You look back um, real quick at some of the actors that started in slasher films. John Travolta was in Carrie. Uh, Kevin Bacon was in... Uh, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, right. Johnny Depp was in Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, this doing a film with, with, with you guys and that, I mean, that could really catapult their career. So you would think that they would definitely want to get out there and say, Hey, look at what I just did. And look I can this, tell you, I know, I know. And I can tell you from experience, there's been quite a few actors that have, uh, I've done just that have flourished and gone on to do bigger projects, uh, from starting with us. And, um, you know, um, a lot of people forget where they come from. And that's just a shame. It is a shame. All right. So before we wrap it up. Yeah. What's in the pipeline? What are you, what are you writing, Kristen? Tell me. I am working on a series of shorts. Basically, they're, they're micro shorts. Mm -hmm. We're aiming between, I would say, between four and six minutes. And it's going to follow the storyline or I would say the lifeline of a group of people. So the trials and tribulations that they go through both as individuals, as couples, it could be something as simple as a daily argument and how that transforms into how it's going to affect the other people in their lives. So I don't want to say it's a days of our lives, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's, a, it's a horror suspense version of days of our lives, I guess you could say. Yeah. Is that, so is, is that going to be like a, a YouTube web series or... Is this yes. something that you're going to? Yes, it is. I right now, um, we uh, I've just signed uh, on to direct the pilot episode, uh, which we're you know, just about ready to get ready to film, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, if that works out and it does get the exposure that we're hoping, um, I've signed on to do eight more episodes. 
And then some of the talent that's coming on have already signed on to do multiple film or multiple episodes besides that. So we're hoping for some longevity because I think what you're going to see now with movie theaters, some of the movie theaters are starting to reopen in the United States uh, due to the COVID pandemic in 2020 here. But, um, you know, we'll see how fast that happens. You know, they, they did a couple months ago, uh, open a couple and they didn't do so well. So we'll see what ends up happening. If, if 2021 is a good uh, gauge on getting people back to the theaters with the, the titles coming out, um, it has the best shot. If it doesn't work in 2021, I'll be surprised if theaters last any longer after that. Yeah, I think that's really going to dictate whether or not, you know, a timeline on another feature, too. Yeah, exactly. So if, if people want to follow your your progress, I mean, do you have a website or, you know, is there a special social media you want to send send people to so they can they can keep up on you? Well, we do have a website, uh, 388studios.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that website. I mean, I do Twitter personally. Um, my name is Adam Steigert. I have Facebook. I think the three of us, myself, Chris and Chris, they both have Facebook. Um, YouTube is where you can see a lot of the quality of work that we're putting out. Um, and uh, the YouTube channel for that is just my name again. It's just Adam Steigert. Mm-hmm. Um, they call me Indy Adam. So um, if you see that over the banner, then you've come to the right place. But you can see a lot of the work that we're doing uh, throughout the years. I've been on uh, YouTube now since 2008, I believe. Uh, so you definitely have some, you definitely have some multiple platforms. Yeah, definitely. To find some, us. Yeah. Um, you can also go on um, iTunes, Google play, um, Vimeo. I said YouTube already. Uh, what yeah. am I missing? Voodoo. We're on Voodoo. I mean, we're on almost every digital platform there is um, depending on which film you're wanting, wanting to see. I think our primary platform is, Still a good old Facebook mm-hmm. for the most part, but we're we're all over the place. Like Adam said, a lot of content is coming up on YouTube. A lot of little spoilers and little behind-the-scenes snippets. Clips. Clips. Scenes from various films. Definitely something to look forward to. And I'll put all of those links um, that you want me to in the description of the podcast. That'll make it easier for people to be able to find you and and now are you, are you ever open to hearing other creative projects from other people or? Oh yes. Um, you know, I, I, everybody comes to me with a pitch. Uh, it seems like uh, every couple of weeks I get a new pitch from a filmmaker or a writer. Um, I don't look at scripts unless they've been copyrighted and I don't even consider thinking about doing something unless you have a budget to come to me. So uh, if you don't come to me with a budget or an outline of what you're thinking you can afford in the sense of bringing the project to life, I don't even, I don't even look at it. I right. used to, I used to consider it and say, Oh yeah, I'll do it on an affirmant or something. But my time has become so valuable to me that um, I'm just not into that anymore. Yeah. No, no more ideas written on a cocktail napkin, right? No, 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 no. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that. That's what I wanted to get to, uh, to see if anybody, you know, had an idea you know, and they wanted to talk to you about making a film. What, 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 what are your requirements for them before they reach out to you? And that's amazing. I'm glad that you um, clarified that. Uh, it's only two things. Have a budget and make sure your script is copyrighted because I never want to be accused of stealing somebody's idea. Right. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, 
directors like that, even in Hollywood, they won't, they will not, they refuse to read a script because as soon as they, they read that script, then they make a movie three years later and they, you know, it's just in their head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe they got that idea. They don't remember where they, where they got the idea from and then they turn around and get sued for it. So absolutely. That's not something that you want to get into. All right. So I guess that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Um, thank you very, very much for being here. I know we could talk about movies and films, uh, you know, for the rest of the night, but we are out of time. So thanks again for being here and we'll definitely be looking forward to more films from, from you guys. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Right. So that'll wrap it up for this installment of telecast PH. I've been biz dev Jeff, your host. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thank you to Adam and Kristen for taking the time to talk with us today. It was an extreme, extreme pleasure. Now, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. And if you're on the YouTube channel, please go ahead and like, subscribe. And I'd really appreciate it if you would hit that notification bell so you'll be notified when I upload new content. And I'm always looking for great feedback, so comments are welcome. And of course, if you want to find out more about Telework PH and what we do and how we can help your business scale up quicker, all you got to do is hop on over to www.teleworkph.com or hit me up in LinkedIn. Just search BizDevJeffThompson or the hashtag BizDevJeff. And as the late, great Dr. Wayne Dyer said, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Take care, everyone. Be safe. This is BizDevJeff signing off.